0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio.
1: And online at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome to the summer solstice edition of the Talk of the Network.
1: Summer officially arriving on Thursday, but Ron, as we here in the Northeast know, in the middle of the country, found out summer arrived earlier this week. Uh, with temperatures so high, they closed some schools here in Connecticut.
2: I heard about that. They grow weak children in Connecticut. These weak, They're weak
1: they can't sweat
2: and learn at the same time. Come
1: on, sweat! <laughs> yeah, we don't have AC here. I'm sorry. We just got traffic lights. Uh, well, anyway, it's a big week of schools here are finally closing for the summers. I think they are probably in your neck of the woods, Ron. Uh, We had Paul McCartney's 76th birthday on Monday. There was the 10 millionth U.S. patent issued for something called LADAR. It's it's a combination of laser and radar. I don't know. And, And Goose, I know you appreciate this. It was the 51st anniversary this week of one of the most important rock concerts ever. And no, I'm not talking Woodstock. That was August 69. I'm talking about the Monterey Pop Festival in Monterey, California. Jimi Hendrix...
3: Baby, believe me,
1: set the world <laughs> on fire. Bye. He did. He and a lot of other people. The, the birds were there, the airplane birds, and the airplane did fly. Well, I wish I'd been there. But you know what? Um, you felt as if you had goose, because I know you, you and I talk music all the time, but you felt as if you had when the Animals released that 45 called Monterey. I love that song. My wife doesn't, but I love it, especially where the Who. Exploded into fire.
3: <laughs> and you, Massagala's music was. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> His majesty <laughs> smiled as he moved amongst the crowd. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, nobody's exploding into fire today, except maybe Ron. I don't know. We'll I was wait. You'll say, you never, Take it easy. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But we are saluting the latest members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And no, we don't have Randy Moss or Terrell Owens with us. But we do have Shireen Williams, who just became the first female ever elected to the Writers Hall. We also have a longtime friend and former Hall of Fame voter Nick Canepa in the house, here to talk about the best charges, not the Pro Football Hall of Fame, as our tour of the league continues. And Ronnie... Here's was hoping Nikki mentions Paul Lowe. please. <laughs> if
2: he doesn't, you know he's been out in the sun too long himself, and he hates the sun.
1: <laughs> he does. We we don't like it here. Who lives in San Diego? Not hates the sun, by the way. Other yeah, than him, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I think just Nikki, party of one. Anyway, we've got plenty to get to, and we, as you just figured out, are hot, hot, hot as we head into summer. So let's get going. Listen to the Talk of FM Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to the Talk of Fame Network, where Ron, your Hall of Fame quarterback,
1: you know, I'm not talking about Brian Hoyer, I'm talking about your Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm waiting. be Tom Brady told, That's my you know, Hall of Fame yeah, quarterback. Yeah, well, he, he's a pretty good one. He is in the Hall of Fame. Tom Brady will be there someday soon, and he told Oprah Winfrey last week, he thinks about stepping away from the game sooner rather than later, and that's a quote. Uh, you've been around him a long time. What's that mean?
2: Well, obviously, the first thing it means is he, he misplaced my phone number. Otherwise, he would have called me and told me all that. Of course, as he always does, take care of the locals first. Um, look, it means he's forty-one and he understands his old ball. Coach is starting to look at him kind of funny, uh, and there's a you know there's a shelf life for everyone in the NFL. And Brady's saying that. Uh, uh, his stamp is close to coming due. And for a control free like Tom, I think he wants to decide as best he can, uh, when he goes, uh, but he understands he's dealing with a similar personality in Bill Belichick. So the guy who gets out alive is the one who pronounces his career dead first.
1: Would you be surprised if he retired after the season?
2: No, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I think it depends on the kind of year he has and the kind of year the team has, you know, if things go yeah, right. uh, well, you know, like they did last year, then he'd probably come back again under his own terms as much as he can. Um, uh, but I think he's also too invested in in, in himself uh, yeah. to stay at the point where he either, A, can't do the job anymore like Peyton Manny couldn't at the end, or and everybody's having a pity party for him on TV. Um, yeah. I, I, and I just think he wants to uh, win his retirement the way he, he's won most of his career, and very few players do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's a wise choice. So you don't want to go out like the United with the Chargers or Willie Mays with the Mets. But, uh, Goose, I was going to ask you if, if you think this is more about his age, and he turns 41 in August, or do you think it has something to do with what, at least on the surface, appears to be a fractured relationship with the head coach?
3: Now, there's a small handful of quarterbacks who have played at 41. Warren Moon, Earl Morrill, Vinny Testaverde, Doug Flutie. None of them play particularly well. Your body gives out, your arm gives out, and when Brady feels it, Belichick will see it. Not many players in any sport beat Father Time.
1: Ron, he left out George Blanda.
3: Yeah, <laughs> George
0: that's right. Well,
1: George, George had Blanda. That, George had the foot going for him. That he did that have the that. foot going for him. Hey, hey, Goose. How much longer do you think Brady plays? Two years. This season and next. Oh, we do. Okay. Um, well, um, good luck to you, Tom. Enjoy those two years. Um, we couldn't have a show. Oh, could we? I don't know. I guess we could, but. Without talking about the wide receiver that loves to be talked about, and that's Terrell Owens, which means I guess we're playing his game. But uh, a week ago, uh, it was because he's boycotting his own Hall of Fame injunction. Um First guy to ever do that, at least the time being. He says that's what's going to happen. Now we have the Atlanta Falcons reportedly, quote, uneasy, unquote, about wide receiver Julio Jones. Why? because he's working out with a certain wide receiver that's boycotting his own Hall of Fame induction. Ron, you can't make this stuff up.
2: Well, no, with T.O., you don't have to. It's all right there. You know, and, uh, One thing we know is that guys like T.O. Uh, have powerful personalities. Yeah. And some people may not like them, but a lot of people do. Uh, and they may seem like a pain in the butt to some people, but other people really gravitate toward them and listen to them uh, and look at them as one of the greatest to ever play his position. So if you play that same position... Why wouldn't you do what he says? Uh, and that's what the Falcons fear. The T.O. is right now filling uh, young Julio's head with thoughts of, uh, you know, how he's being abused by management and ownership. Right, and right. Nobody loves you like I love you. You're underappreciated. you got to control your situation. Blah, 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 blah. Stand up. Be a man. Don't let the man take you down. You know, you know what's going to Give me a break. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, you know, Julio down by the school. That's what's happening. You know, in the uh, Julio. That's happened, Julio. <laughs> Julio goes down by the schoolyard with T.O. He may not be coming back to Atlanta. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Paul Simon. uh, Goose, if you were the Falcons, would you be, quote, uneasy, unquote? Would you be concerned?
3: Not really. If Jones was young and impressionable, maybe. But he's arguably the the best receiver in the NFL today. He knows his standing in the NFL today. There's not a whole lot Owens can say or do that will impress a receiver of his standing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I I saw a video this week, and I'm sure you guys do, about uh, UCLA on the track running a 4-4, first of all. Uh, at the age of 44 I don't know they could run a 4-4 four four. secondly I don't really care unless he's trying out for the U.S. Olympic team but if he is I guarantee he'll divide that team too so I went okay so what I mean he runs four-four-four. I don't care um, but oh he's great he's wonderful Yeah, okay. He's a pain in the butt is what he is. Uh, All I know, Goose, is um, that when I said this year's uh, selectors' meetings, there were a lot of people who thought he was a bad teammate and unnecessary distraction. I I remember, honestly, people in that room sort of scoffing and shaking their heads like we've heard it before. And I knew, like, okay, better sit down here. But then we voted him in. And you know what? To me, we get what we deserve, which is an unnecessary distraction.
3: Well, it's not a distraction to me. I don't care what he has to say or if he shows up in Canton or not. Let me say this. We shouldn't be surprised by anything this guy does. Right. This is a guy who spent one training camp lifting weights in his driveway for ESPN <laughs> cameras.
1: Hey, and also, Ron, check this. This is a guy who who blocked I think blocked me and blocked Goose on Twitter. I mean, are you kidding right.
2: me? Right. Are you? Come on. I never had the honor. I've been blocked <laughs> by many people, but not to
1: I mean, we, we tried to get him on the show. I Man, I tried to get through his agent. No, didn't hear even hear from him.
2: Right. But but I'm with Goose on this. uh, You know, Goose and I are the two least distracted people in America, I think. You know, a a guy is is only a distraction to me if I pay attention to him. And as you know, I don't pay attention to many people or many things. You know, so he hasn't distracted me from anything, including the dinner table, unfortunately, for my waistline.
1: He did, he, however, he did distract you for one moment because you were the guy who wrote the best tweet of the past <laughs> two weeks. He's the part of the greatest team of all time, and he's still a lousy teammate. Oh, man, I think you knew what you were talking about, Ron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just... For a
2: change, for a change. Right, for, you know, broken clock is right twice a day, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I just strike, right, that's just, it really struck me right off the bat. I said, here he is, you know, he's on the greatest collection of football players in the history of the game, yep. you're going to have an opportunity. to Be in a room with seventy-five or a hundred of them. How many of them show up? You know, some of the, you know, some quite elderly guys who are the found really the foundations of the game. Uh, and you're not going to get to meet uh, Raymond Barry much longer. You're not going to get right. to meet a lot of these guys much longer. And uh, and you choose not to show up. Well, it says more by you than it does by anything else.
1: Well, that's a signal. We're going to hear the case of a Hall of Fame-worthy candidate who, and I'm just going out a limb here, Ron, I think he would show up for his induction if elected. And Ron, you wrote about him this week on our website, talkoffamenetwork.com. You want to tell us about Nolan Cromwell?
2: Yeah, first off, he's a guy who would hit T.O. in the lip, that's for sure. Uh, (laughs) You know, when it came to sports, Nolan Cromwell could do anything. He proved it on baseball fields, basketball courts, running tracks, but it was on the football field that he made the fact clearest. There are many ways to look at the four-time Pro Bowl safety, 1980 NFC Defensive Player of the Year, and 1980's All-Decade Selection, but the easiest might be through the eyes of someone regularly tasked with coaching against him ex-Falcons head coach Lehman Bennett. In 1981, Bennett said, I don't know how you'd compare one great athlete to another in pro football, so maybe we can agree on this. I don't know a better one than Nolan. Before Cromwell was drafted by the Rams in the second round in 1977, he was an all big Eight safety at Kansas for two years when injuries to the Jayhawks quarterback demanded reinforcements. Rather than turn to their backup quarterback, head coach Bud Moore turned to Nolan Cromwell, who did not hesitate Running the wishbone, he rushed for 294 yards in his first start against Oregon State. In the case somebody thought it was a fluke, he ran for 187 the next week against Wisconsin. By the end of the year, he had rushed for 1,124 yards and been named Big 8 Offensive Player of the Year. He started for two seasons as the ultimate running quarterback before he got to L.A. in 1977 and returned to safety. He was a nickelback his first two seasons uh, before taking over at free safety in 1979. He would start all but five games over the next eight years, earn four Pro Bowl selections, be named first-team All-Pro three times, Times, second team once lead the league in interceptions with eight in 1980. The season he was named NFC Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he was for many the yardstick by which all of all of the free safeties of his era were measured. He's also widely regarded as the best holder for place kickers in league history. And our talk of fame special teams guru, Rick Goss, named in the starting holder on his all-time team that he just picked. Not just because he could hold it, because he could run with it. You know, he played a key role in the Rams' 79 Super Bowl game. Uh, you know, He dropped an interception that game and blamed himself forever that that's why they lost, which it was not, because they wouldn't even have gotten in the game if they didn't have him. Uh, eventually, like everybody else, he got old. In 1987, he played his last year. Splitting time, and he retired. When you look back on Nolan Cromwell's production as a player, I can't tell you if he's a Hall of Famer or not. We can debate that. The problem is it's never been debated, and it's about time.
3: Ron, there are two other safeties in the 1980s all-decade team that aren't in. Duron Cherry, Joey Brauner, is Cromwell the most deserving?
2: I think so, because you know he was selected defensive player of the year, and I think that anyone who gets that kind of designation separates himself uh, from the credentials of most others. The two starters from that team, Kenny Easley uh, and Ronnie Lott, are both in. I think it's time to at least take a good, hard look at Nolan Cromwell
1: we're going to take a good, hard look at the next commercial, guys. But when we return, we're going to be with a Hall of Famer. Promise to show up for her. That's right. Her induction into Canton. That's coming up right after this.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our first guest will make history at
1: Canton this summer. But unlike Terrell Owens... She actually plans on showing up for induction. Talking about Shireen Williams of Pro Football Talk, who is the first woman ever elected the Hall Sports Sportswriters Wing. And Shireen, first of all, congratulations. It's about time, it's past time. And second, thank you for joining us again.
4: Well, thank you for the congratulations, and thank you for having me on. I'm honored and humbled to be going into the Hall of Fame, and humbled and honored to be on you guys' show again.
1: Well, thank you. Um, we're humbled and honored to have you here. Ron, you humbled and honored, too? Yeah, I am. I'm just humbled. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty humble most of the time. <laughs> I know. Honored, not well, so much. <laughs> it, Shereen, it, it's, it's always good to be the first at anything, but I'm just wondering, um, how pleased... Proud, grateful—you name it, whatever you want to call it—are you to be the first woman to be named to the Hall's Writers Wing?
4: Well, it's kind of really unbelievable because it is 2018. So you know, you think a lot of these things have have been done, and there's no first left to do. And and so um, you know, it, it is a huge honor from. From that standpoint, to sort of be, I guess, a trailblazer. I don't feel like one, but I guess in some respects I am. And, you know, I got obviously a lot of texts and emails and phone calls and all those sorts of things, but one of the most meaningful came from the sports editor at the battalion, which is Texas A&M School newspaper, and it was from uh, a female uh, sports editor, Angel Franco, And, and she texted me and she said, you know, I want to be just like you when I grow up. This is what I want to wow. do, and, and thank you for paving the way. And and that meant as much to me as, as anything else. With hearing from Jerry Jones or Jason Witten or other writers or, or whoever it may be, uh, that just meant a, a whole bunch uh, to have uh, a young... Up, up and coming female who wants to go in our business say that. I, it just it, it meant
1: a ton. Boy, you know something? I'd save it and I'd frame it. Honestly, I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's actually very yeah. cool. Um, let me ask you something. Y- your family aside. Uh, um, who was or who is the person that's most responsible for having an impact, and I mean a significant impact on your career? If I said to you, listen, you can send a limo out for one person, aside from your family, to get and bring to Ken's the person that had the biggest impact on your career, who would that person be, and, and what did he or she do?
4: Oh my goodness, God! there's so many. Um, you know, it would probably be Celeste Williams, the late great sports editor here at Fort Worth Star Telegram, uh, who brought me back to Texas to the Fort Worth Star Telegram in 1999 and, and gave me the NFL beat, which morphed into the Cowboys beat at, at one point and, and got to really do what I have wanted to do since the second grade when I told my second grade teacher, Cindy Bridges, that I wanted to cover the Dallas Cowboys. That was my lifetime goal, and the newspaper came out and wrote a story story on me, that that was my, my dream, was to cover the Dallas Cowboys. And and so uh, it, it would have to be Celeste who, who let me uh, live out that dream at a, at a fairly young age, uh, in 99, and, and uh, have done that for a really long time now. But uh, uh, that she would have to be the one. And unfortunately, she died a year ago. Uh, I would love to have her in Canton there, and uh, it would be paying my respects to, to her as well. Um, but uh, yeah, she would be the one that, that comes first to mind. there there's obviously tons of them. When you go through something like this, you think of all the people you want to thank, uh, and there's many, many of them um, from from start to finish who, who played a part along the way. But she'd be the one that comes to mind the first.
3: Shereen, what are you most proud of in your football writing career?
4: You know, I think winning this Ward Goose tells me that I, you know, obviously, am respected by. Uh, by other, by my peers, which probably means as much as, as anything else. Uh, but just the fact, I think, that I was able to do it over a long period of time, and, and I think I did earn that respect. And, and in, in a lot of ways, it was harder to earn that respect as a female coming up uh, when we didn't have many females to follow back in the day, other than Christine Brennan and Lisa Olson and maybe a couple others. There just weren't really those role models out there where you could go say, okay, that's what I want to be, that's what I want to do. They just weren't out there, didn't exist. And um, I stayed in it and kept doing it and worked my way up and, you know, started by covering high schools and those types of things that some of us don't like covering early in our careers when you know what you want to do, but you have to take all those steps, and I took all those steps, and, and to still be in it after so many years of doing it, 1994 was my first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and to still be doing it since 1994, I think, says that you've done things in the right way, you've given both sides of the story, and, and been trustworthy, and people have come uh, to respect you and respond to you and and trust you. And and so that's probably it, that I've been in it this long and to still be doing it.
3: Okay, did you ever think as a Texas A&M Aggie that you would beat Johnny Manziel into a football (laughs) hall of fame?
4: (laughs) Probably not. You know, there's only one Aggie in the Hall of Fame, and that's Yell Larry. So, you know, we need some more Aggies to go in the Hall of
1: Fame. (laughs) That's pretty good company. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, You
2: know, Shreem, today most everyone's just very used to seeing uh, women, locker room women on the sidelines, women in all areas of sports, women broadcasting games and analyzing games. Uh, But when you started out uh, back in Tampa, it wasn't that way. Nobody knows that right. better than you. Uh, what kind of difficulties did you experience uh, in your early years as a woman trying to report, in particular on the ultimate macho sport of football?
4: Yeah. Well, the the story I'll tell, and it's a college football story, and it, it was early in my career, and <clears throat> this kind of, I think, describes kind of what, what it was like by then, back then. And it's just what you said. Uh, that that there weren't women doing it and so teams weren't used to it players weren't used to it coaches weren't used to it and so I was covering an Arkansas-Texas A&M game for for the newspaper and Bryan College Station and, and I was assigned to write a, a feature story on the Arkansas quarterback Quinn Grovey uh, after the game and so I went to the Arkansas SID and I said hey I'm coming to your locker room after the game he said well, we don't let women in our locker room and I said well, that, okay uh, what do you suggest I do and he said well, who do you need? We'll bring them out. And that's, well, I need Quinn Grovey and I need the, the coach. And, okay, we'll bring them out. Well, when we go in, you just stand outside the locker room and we'll bring them out. And uh, so I stood outside the locker room for, you know, 10 minutes, turns into 20, turns into 30, turns into 40. And finally, Kirk Bolts and the all American Statesman comes out. I said, Shereen, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm waiting on Quinn Grovey and the coach to come out. He said, there's a back door. They're gone. Like, there's no one left in there. And, uh, you know, I I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm a young reporter in my career. How do I go back and and tell my sports editor? You know, I I felt at fault. How do I tell my sports editor that I didn't get what he assigned me to get? and and kirk put his arm around me He says don't worry i'll give you all the quotes that we got in the locker room and and we'll take care of you but uh that's some of the kind of things that you kind of went through because they forgot about you like you were uh unusual you you know you weren't couldn't go in the locker room and couldn't do all those things uh that that the men could do at the time and there were several other incidents like that and then you know you get to the 90s and and uh you know it evens out and Players get used to it. Now, I, you know, it's really not that big of a deal because, uh, as you said, uh, there are so many women uh, who are doing it now that we see. And I think players, coaches, and and teams are used to it. And things are treated, obviously, way more equally than they used to be. I think players used to hate talking to women and women coming to the locker room. Now I think they hate everyone coming to the locker room. It no doesn't matter who you are. Uh, they just don't like coming to the locker room, period. Right.
5: Yeah,
3: right no, about that. Right.
2: So, in those early years, what Kept you going. Obviously, you talked about earlier about how much this was your dream and so forth, but it's not easy. I and mean, I was uh, old enough, to, unfortunately, uh, to remember those days and being around those days and see women colleagues of mine standing outside forever and many times, as you point out, uh, being ignored, not getting what they needed to do their jobs. What kept you going uh, and what? Stopped you from saying, you know, I don't need this. Uh, I don't need yeah. to be treated like this. Well,
4: Ron, I, th- I think it was that it was my dream. You know, from the time I was in second grade, you know, I was working to cover the Dallas Cowboys. That's what I wanted to do, and nothing was going to, you know, stop me from from getting there. And and that's what I aspired to. So I think that's probably what kept me going. It was fun. I mean, it's still fun. Uh, to to cover the game and, and not have to go big bitches or you know work in attics uh, in a hundred degree heat or whatever it may be when you think of much worse jobs um, you know I've covered twenty four Super Bowls and, and seven Olympic games that's living out a dream and, and and seeing a lot of the world and a lot of great things and a lot of memorable games and all the thing meeting a, a lot of famous people along the way that uh, that I don't think you have if, if you quit doing this and I, and I think the bottom line. I know Ron is. Is what, the question would become all right? If I'm not going to do this, what am I going to do? Which is kind of what I am, at, where I am at in my career now is what, what's next for me if if I'm going to do something else. Uh, and I still haven't answered that question. So I think that was probably the bottom line of all of it. Is I was pretty good. At doing this uh, Better than I would be At doing something else I'm not good at math I'm not good at science So anything that involves that Is completely out
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay Shireen Let's just cut to the chase here Where's your party going to be And can I bring T.O.? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yes, you can bring T.O. That was my husband's first question. Do we have to pay for a party? And and I said no. And he says, well, if we do, then we're having hot dogs under the bleachers with a, a Justin Timberlake CD. Because, of course, Justin Timberlake performed it live at, at Jerry's party last year. Yeah, so we'll just have right. the CD going and, and have the hot dogs under the bleachers. And, and we'll have a good time. And hopefully T.O. shows up for that party. <laughs>
3: Shireen, have you heard from Andrea Kramer and um, do you find it ironic yeah. going in with her? It
4: is. It's really cool. I, I, I She sent me an email as one of the first ones to respond when she saw it, just saying, hey, congratulations, it's fantastic, blah, blah, blah. And then I had heard through the grapevine that she was going to get the Broadcaster Award and, and when it came out I, I immediately sent her an email back and said, hey, I'm even more honored to be going in with you. I mean, I think she's done this longer than I have. She's been at it forever and day and uh and and so it's probably long overdue for her i also heard from leslie Vister, who was the first female to go on the broadcaster's wing uh, and andrea will be the second i believe and and so really cool that uh, i heard from those two because uh you know they were probably trailblazers in this business more so than i am especially from the broadcaster side of things and and uh it, it makes it really neat that i'm able to go in with Andrea, well,
1: shereen williams thanks again for the time and welcome to Cadden. we'll see you there this summer okay.
4: Thank you, guys.
3: Thanks, Shereen.
1: You got it. That was Shereen Williams of Pro Football Talk. Living proof that dreams do come true. Next up, we'll talk about what Shereen can expect when she gets to Canton. You're listening to the Talk Fame Network.
0: Yeah. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, geez, that was great to hear from Shireen, and, and I'm very happy,
1: and I know you guys are too, that she was named. She is and, and was deserving. But her induction goose, um, it's going to be different and maybe a lot different than what happened to you when you were named in the hall in, uh, to the Hall in 2004. You want to tell us what you went through and, and how things have changed with the process since then? In other words, what Shereen Shireen can expect that uh, you didn't, or maybe what you didn't have, that she's going to go through.
3: You know, I, I've been to a lot of them since then, and I, I really haven't noticed much change. You know, I won it in 2004, and we weren't in the parade. Two years later, Leslie Visser won it. And when she won it, they put her in the parade, and I, I'm not sure they still put them in the parade, but but they had a run. After I got it, that, uh, that they actually had a car in the in the Hall of Fame parade. You know, it's not really going to change. They give you limited time to speak at the civic mm-hmm. banquet. They, they give you a limited number of tickets. To distribute in your family. You know, I think the biggest difference I've seen that there are now 14 more names on the McCann plaque hanging in Canton.
1: Right. Well, Goose, that parade's very simple. I mean, people in Canton would rather look at Leslie Visser than they would at you. That lock of the century. That's why
3: they went two years. <laughs>
2: I was thinking that's, that's an easy one that's an easy choice to make so step out of the car sir
1: <laughs> what do you think you're doing in that car get out of yeah, the car but, but I'm in the yeah, Hall of yeah. Fame uh, get out of the car which you please rides in a
3: convertible except the McCann winner <laughs> yeah they're in the tr- they're in the trunk
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> How long was was your speech, and how tightly did they hold you to it, uh, uh, Gooseman? And were you, uh, you know, were you, were you nervous at all? or Was there somebody in particular that you uh, really wanted to make sure you thanked, other than myself, which I'm sure was right at the top of your <laughs> list?
3: <laughs> yeah, they give you they give you three minutes. Three that's minutes. It? Wow, I can't even clear my that's throat. That's it. Exactly. That's it. They gave you three minutes. Oh my. God. I had uh, I had my family there. A lot of came out from Detroit. Cool. My brother came to San Francisco, and I didn't even mention the word football in my three minute. I-, I talked about family and you know what it meant to be up there, what it meant to my family, and I'm one of the few guys that never used the word football in that wow. thing. Um, cool. I'm not going to give you names, but the the, the TV guy that, that won the award after me went on for about 14 minutes. Oh. And I asked Joe, well, I thought we were supposed to limit it to three. <laughs> well, well, well
1: <laughs> he said that was Leslie Visser. We got her different rules. Than we do. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That all changed in less than one. <laughs> yeah. oh, really. Wow hey, hey goose. I think I mean I think they do it by video now, correct? I mean, in other words, if you were to win it today, you do it by video. you wouldn't actually be up the the mic making a speech, correct?
3: I think no, I think you I think you do speak think, really. Yeah. No,
2: I, th- I think I, I think Clark's right, though. I think it, I think it isn't. is. It? Unless unless
1: you speak at, at something
3: else, because uh, I remember yeah, Pompeii last year was. Yeah, that's one to keep, was, uh, keep those TV guys down to three minutes. Sure. Yeah, Pompeii I mean,
1: unless it was a video. <laughs> yeah. It was a video. Unless you're listening to this or you do yeah, a video.
3: it by video, it's a lot cleaner.
1: Yeah, well, you know, like, this, is, this, is, this is what I wanted to ask you. Um, if you had it to do all over again, would you prefer to do it that way or as you did it then? I mean, standing in front of thousands of people, sweating through your suit and speaking. I mean, that's going to be nerve-wracking, but I would think there would be a great sense of accomplishment, too, when you got through it.
3: Yeah, I'd rather do it live. I, mean, I had yeah. eye-to-eye contact with my family, who I was talking about. Mm-hmm. That meant more to me than, frankly, the award. You know, and I tell guys, that's what this is what T.O. doesn't get. When you get an award like this, it's not about you. It's mm-hmm. about, for in T.O.'s case, it's about all the coaches that help you get there, and all your teachers, and all your family, and all your friends. You know, you didn't get there on your own. People right. got you there. It's a celebration of you, of, of you, but it's a celebration by others. And that's what he's missing. And that's the way I took him. You know, I'm getting this award, but this is more about my family than it was about me. They right. had a better time than I did. I was a little nervous going into the speech but uh you know, they, they, they thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was about them and that's what that's what T O's gonna regret down the way. And mm-hmm. you know, I feel bad for George Stewart. He was gonna make the presentation for yeah, T O. Yeah. yeah. And now yeah. George Stewart, you can't you know I don't know what they're gonna do, but uh George Stewart meant a lot to Terrell Owens. And that would have meant a lot to George Stewart. And I think right. he was very short sighted in, in his decision to skip this ceremony.
2: Let me tell you, nothing's ever gonna happen, but if if I, if I ever did get in, and my family got there? That would not be a good thing for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> He's staggering around, throwing footballs around. You're
0: throwing I told, told, told,
3: told Shereen, I said, ask for as many tickets as I'll give you because they, they always want to you know, keep you. I, ended up, I think I ended up buying extra tickets. I think we had a table, and I had to buy extra tickets, fell off the table. <laughs> Wow. So go shrink. Get as many tickets as you can. Leslie did. Welcome to, to,
1: buy to, buy the, Hall yeah, Welcome to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Leslie. The goose. Hall of Fame goose. That'll cost you fifteen hundred dollars.
2: <laughs> right. Leslie had seventy-five people there and didn't have to buy a ticket. That's <laughs> you know, uh, it's, <laughs> <all right. laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You know, it's okay. Um, so, what's easier, Gooseman? Because you've done them both: uh, making that speech or presenting a nominee for the uh, for the Hall of Fame. Because in both cases, you're on the clock. That speech is easier because it's
3: from the heart. You, you make mm-hmm. the presentation, you make, you know, you believe in the, the candidate, but, you know, there's, you know, it's, he may not get in. You, you give mm-hmm. him the best shot. But when you're making the speech, you know, for the McCann, you're, you're already in. And, and the, it, it, it's a little easier. The pressure's off. But, yeah, I, I, I still get nervous presenting candidates uh, because, you know, it's, you know, their fate is in your hands. Yeah, right. and that's the problem. You're trying to convince people about someone, whereas when you're getting, winning the Can Award, you're there. They, they, you know, you've already convinced people. You're, you're, you're receiving this award, and you're trying to get awards for the guys when you're making presentations.
2: Mm. Good point.
3: Uh, uh, one other
2: thing. Anyone you later realize, you know, you always hear these stories, but oh, geez, I forgot. You know, uh, Mrs. Mabel in the fourth grade, or whatever. Uh, when you were done with your speech, was did you realize? Oh, geez, I, should, I wish I had said something about Clark.
1: Yeah, you mean present company excluded? That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> did you uh, Did you miss anybody?
3: I, I didn't miss anybody because I didn't really name anybody. This mm-hmm. was about my family. It was me thanking. You know, six brothers, sisters, and two parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, you know, you, you cover it. You know, you, you, you it's a line at the beginning or end saying, you know, I want to thank everybody to help me get here. But uh, this, this was about my family. And that's, it wasn't about football. It wasn't about me. It was about my family.
1: And that was Goose, the- I, I understand it was about your family, but how important was that or is that award to you? And ultimately, what does it mean when you see it hanging on the wall when you go to Canton and you see your name on the wall?
3: Oh, it's huge. I mean, you know, for, for every year, you're going to be in the in the Hall of Fame. And you look at the names on that plaque of you know, some of the greatest football writers in history. And, you know, when I'm there, I'm looking at the game names that weren't on that plaque. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up reading Jerry Green, Detroit right. News. I, he was a great footballer. He's one of the few that's seen every Super Bowl. Right. He wasn't in. He went in the next year. I almost felt guilty going in before Jerry Green. And that's what, you know, when, when you, you stand there and read the names on the plaque, and you see that the greats of the industry, and now you're you're there with them, and that's not going to change. This is like like Ron says about TL. This is a team they they can't cut you from. They can't lay you off, Ron. You, right? They can't you cannot lay off. you off.
1: <laughs> that's exactly. Can't right. trade you either. Can't trade you either. Exactly um, right. Goose man, what's what was the best part of the weekend, and and what was the worst?
3: Uh, <laughs> not counting the lack of presence at the parade. Um, <laughs> You know, you're trying to do so much. You got family there. You got friends there. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to see you. Wants to shake your hand. And you know, you can't. There weren't enough minutes in the hour, and hours in the day for that weekend. And you don't. There are so many people there. You almost like to go back and relive it. You know, and that's. I've told people it's. It's more fun to go back the year after you win it because it's all settled down. And by then, it's all soaked in. You know what's what's happened. And, and how this impacts your life, and how people view you differently, when 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 you're picked as the one writer that's going in the Hall of Fame that particular year, you're you're viewed differently. There's a you, you, you command a little little more respect than you would as a as strictly a beat guy on a on a team in, in football. Who gets to talk to Tom Brady in football? <laughs> Peyton Manning was always good. Brett Favre was always good. Steve Young was was excellent. Um, those guys. Best interview I ever had in any sport it was George Brett I covered uh-huh. baseball I covered the uh-huh. from 77 to 85 and this guy was the best player you know he hit the top of his game and he always had time for the writers in 1980 when he hit almost 400 he was there at his locker every day answering every question that, that was a class and I see how the NFL guys now hide out and they talk once a week yeah. George Brett stood there every day all summer long and answered every question and that 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 struck me. This this is a class act. This guy gets it. This guy gets it. He's got a job to do, and we got a job to do. And so many players. Messed up. I'm glad you mentioned Steve. Let, me, let me say one other thing about this. You know, I, I feel because Clark, you're on the ballot this year. Ron's been on the ballot. It is tough. It is tough to get in. You know, and, and it's it's an honor to be on the ballot. Right. You know, you're, right. you're one of the. They're saying you are one of the five. You know, writers were considering t- for this Hall of Fame honor. And one day, one day soon, I hope that both of you guys can join us. So we can have a true Hall of Fame guys network.
1: Well, no, that's honestly the way I felt when, when I saw my name there. Uh, I, I, wow. I mean, this is an honor. And I felt like these, some of these interviews we have on, on this program, when they go, it's just an honor to be nominated. It was. And I'm glad you mentioned, by the way, Steve Young. When I covered the 49ers, I could get Steve Young six out of the seven days of the week. And I mean that. Six out of the seven days of the week. I'd go to Saturday practices, and he'd come over and say, you need anything? I went, nope. Or if I did, I'd say, yeah, come in for a second. He was terrific. And another quarterback that, that you didn't mention, but I always enjoyed dealing with, was, was Matt Hasselbeck in Seattle. Um, but anyway. Um, let, me, let, me really inter- about,
3: let me tell you about Favre. Favre last year in Green Bay, and I, I, I talked to the PR guys. Look, and I want to I talk to Brett, and I've got um, – this is my angle I'm pursuing. And the PR guy wrote about Favre, and Favre said, look, and I don't, I don't really want to do it, put out there, tell you what I know, Rick. I'll, I'll give him 10 minutes. Pop your head in the door after 10 minutes and tell, my, tell me I've got a meeting. So I sit down with Brett, and I start taking along my, my train of thought in this interview, and he's really into it. He's into it. 10 minutes, the PR guy pops his head in. Uh, hey, Brett, you got a team meeting? Uh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. This is, you know, I'm I'm talking. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about me. We talked for an hour and a half.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Remember when we had him on the show? We had him on for over 40 oh, yeah. minutes. You're got getting he was great. He is. Yeah, I he love a, him. He's a great storyteller, too. Yeah, he, yeah, he is. is. Well,
2: I'm a little disappointed, yeah. though, Goose Man, that You didn't pick a, pick a defensive player. You're the champion of defensive players, and you pick quarterbacks. <laughs> Geez, What <laughs> the one great defensive guy. You talked to Lester Hayes once in your life or something like
3: that. The judge. As far as, far as insight? Albert
1: Lewis. There you go. Great insight. Uh, Yeah, he's a good one.
3: Cornerback and playing defense. uh.
1: Well, um, getting into the hall, as you know, Goose is a pretty significant event in the lives of, as you mentioned, really everyone, uh, the the individual and the family involved. And and I can't imagine, honestly, what it's like to stand on that stage, which is why, guys, I'm going to do what I promise not to. Go ahead and hit me, Ron. You're used to it. And that's to swing this conversation back to Terrell Owens. Because everything these days, it seems, is six degrees of T.O. So my question is this. He said he's not going to show up. And, and nobody's done that before. We know that. But nobody's quite like this guy. So, A, do you think he changes his mind before August? And B, if he doesn't, would the precedent now set? Do you believe others who follow may boycott Canton because they don't like the way their candidates' candidacies were handled by the Hall and by voters? Think that happens?
3: I don't think so. Well, I think this is a unique circumstance. I, I don't think this is such a tremendous honor, and I, I do think you're right. I think dude, he could flip because I think a lot of people, a lot of Hall of Famers, are going to be talking to him.
1: Yeah, right. Plus, again, and it just makes it about him again. He's the center of the which is what he the wants. News, which is so, what he wants.
3: Yeah, I mean, could
2: he change his mind? Sure, he could. Uh, you know but in the, but in the end, you know the only way he's going to do it is if they beg him to come, which i don 't think that's right. do. because right. then he can justify uh, showing up his ego as it always has in the past, his ego is going to bruise himself uh, uh, again, and he's going to miss a moment that can't be duplicated. you know you can right. catch another pass, you can play another game, but there's only one induction.
1: That's right. right. Well, uh once again, congratulations to Shereen Williams. I think she's playing at a party, she said, of brewskis and uh I think hot dogs, right? Ah, dogs anyway, it sounds good. There. Yeah, so don't miss it. I won't.
0: Tio, I don't think he'll be there. Up next it's the two-minute drill, this is talk of fame Tower. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges.
1: Well, we're almost out of time for our first hour, so Robert, get Cleet Blakeman in here to blow the whistle on us, would you? There you go. Thanks, Cleet. It's time for our two-minute drill, and I'm asking this week's questions. So, gentlemen, start your engines. Fans were so excited with Mexico's defeat of Germany in World Cup soccer, they nearly caused an earthquake. In what NFL city could you see that happening?
3: Cleveland, but what city on Lake Erie? Maybe a tsunami. Oakland.
1: They're already on the fault line. <laughs> I'm booking Robert De Niro for his next gig. So which NFL audience should he address to drop another F-bomb?
3: I'm going to send him off to college. commencement speaker at Cal Berkeley. I think there's
2: one logical place. The Terrell Owens Hall of Fame Celebration Committee.
0: (laughs) I like it.
1: The Incredible Stew is A, a current blockbuster movie, B, the 2018 story of the Red Sox and Yankees, C, another name for Tom Brady and Giselle, or D, a biopic of Ron and Rick.
3: I'll go with the biopic, and this is my formal request for the movie rights.
2: I go with E, J.J. Watt and Tariq Cohen, two guys doing incredible things for
1: communities in need. (laughs) The Minnesota Vikings won the PFWA Award for Best PR Staff. Which would you have picked?
3: Vikings got my vote.
2: Vikings do a good job. But the Broncos (laughs) put the relations in BR. Yeah, Broncos,
1: wow. Jerry Jones says he trusts Ezekiel Elliott, quote, as much as he trusts himself, unquote. Is that good or bad?
3: Question is, how much does Jones trust himself?
1: Oh, <laughs> I
2: know. Is Jerry Jones's wife trusts him as much as she trusts Eagle Elliott.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All three former NFL coaches, that'd be Mark Trussman, Mike Sherman, and June Jones, they lost their CFL openers. So, what does that tell you?
3: One game does not a season make. Tells me that
2: 12th guy on the defense is a lot harder to take care of than you thought.
1: <laughs> Zach Brown says the Redskins planned to rough up Terrell Pryor when Washington and the Jets hold a joint practice. Any advice for Pryor?
3: return to the quarterback position he played at Ohio State and put that red can not hit New jersey on. <laughs> <laughs> Failing that, pull a hamstring. Fast.
1: <laughs> Gaming disorder is now an official mental health condition, but with what team?
3: 2016, Falcons, who blew that 25-point second half Super Bowl lead. <laughs> the
1: Seahawks, they gambled one time
2: and they've been broke ever since.
1: That's the end of our first hour, but don't go anywhere. In hour number two, we'll be talking about Dennis Green, Jimmy Johnson, the best Chargers not in Canton, and the next Hall of Fame contributor class. All that coming up. This is the Talk of Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online
1: at SBNationLive.com.
0: From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark along with Rick and Ron,
1: and we are your Hall of Fame guys here to tell you that the Minnesota Vikings, yeah, the Minnesota Vikings are doing something Pretty Hall of Fame worthy this year. They're putting the late Denny Green into their ring of honor because, well, because he is who we thought he was. One really good head coach. And the induction is going to take place during halftime of the Vikings' week three game versus Buffalo. And all I can say is, guys, it's about time. I mean, Denny's 10 years as Minnesota's head coach, he led the Vikings to eight playoff appearances and four division titles. But you probably knew that. What our listeners might not know is is that he was only the second African-American head coach in the NFL after Ron, your guy, Art Schell. My
2: bud.
3: And a pretty good coach. And as we all know, success is colorblind. I think the family of Dennis Green won him welcomed into the Ring of Honor as a successful head coach, not necessarily a successful African-American head coach. I say he learned his lessons well on Bill Walsh's staff in the 80s, became one of the best offensive minds in football, and boy, those Vikings were fun to watch in the 90s with
1: uh Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no they they were the only problem I have with this whole idea is that uh, uh they should have done it before the bear for the for the bears game. Uh-huh. You know, and now <laughs> You know, That's I know right. he was. Co- yeah, he was coaching the Cardinals at the time. But I mean, it's the greatest thing I ever said. You know, when he pounded, when he pounded that day, the day and then he didn't leave. He just stood there staring at everybody, like, "Okay, where do we go from there?"
1: <laughs> Maybe they'll do that if and when he gets into the Arizona Cardinals Hall of Fame. Anyway, um, it's it's really good to see this happen. But unfortunately, guys, I mean, Dennis isn't remembered so much for his great coaching as he is for, as you mentioned, that one soundbite. The Bears are who we thought they were, and that NFC, NFC Championship game in 1998, a loss to it, Atlanta, where he sat on the ball in the last 30, 40 seconds ago, I think, and, and took his chances in overtime when, of course, Ron the Falcons won.
2: Yeah, I mean that was a sad end to a great team. That was a 15-1 season. Oh, oh. Uh, he, they were first in points. They were scored. They were sixth in fewest points allowed. I mean, they had everything, but that's the cruel fate for a coach. They're judged by their jewelry and until uh, Dennis gets into the, the uh, ring of honor, that'll be the first ring that he's got, unfortunately for yeah. him. Great coach, though. And a good guy.
1: And a good guy. Yeah. Anyway, nice gesture by the Vikings. Congratulations to the late Dennis Green and to the Minnesota Vikings. Coming up next, we'll talk about the next Mike Curtis. But in the CFL? Yeah, true. Stay tuned. This is the Talk Fame Network.
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Gosland, and Ron Borges. It's been a... uh
1: tough two weeks for the San Francisco 49ers and their fans. Um, First, we lost wide receiver and and friend of the show, Dwight Clark, to ALS, and now it's a teammate of Dwight's, former offensive tackle Keith Vonhorst, who died last week at the age of 66. Now, I know there are a lot of people out there who have never heard of Keith, but um, to be honest with you, that's a shame, because I I know he wasn't a Hall of Famer, but he was a two-time Super Bowl champ who was a 1984 All-Pro and who played in 193 games for the 49ers. Now, that seems like a lot because it is. Only seven players, including one offensive lineman, have played in more for one team and for that team. Goose, um, I know you remember him. He was a pretty good player, right?
3: I remember him, and I remember that team. That That's my favorite 49ers oh. team, the Super Bowl chance before Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. And that offensive line was a strength: Farnhorst, Randy Cross, Fred Quillen, John Ayers, yep. Bubba Paris. They could run block for Roger Craig, Wendell Taylor. They could pass uh, protect for Montana. That was that, you're right. That, that's a, that's an underrated line with a lot of very well. I'm
1: I'm glad you mentioned that, Goose, because um, you know there's a lot of talk about the Forty ers offensive stars in the '80s, and, and you know guys like Montana, Rice, Craig, Dwight Clark, uh, people that uh, our listeners are familiar with. But but as you mentioned, that offensive line was solid, and, and Fonhorse was one of the standouts, but just one of them. And, and you mentioned others, Quinlan, um, Randy Cross. There were others that were, that were really good players. And, and, Ron, I know you study offensive lines. That was among the best that, that people really don't talk about because it was overshadowed by such great people like, you know, Montana Rice, Craig, Dwight Clark, and others.
2: No, you're right. I mean, those, those guys were the engine that the train there, you know, and they were very athletic guys, uh, you know, uh, Keith himself was a big guy, as you know, but, but most of them were smaller, more athletic guys uh, than they have today, and, and the thing about uh, Keith Farnus who I got to know pretty well, uh, you know, really uh, a really good player, a really good sort of locker room presence, uh and really good to talk to, you know, if things were went well, he could explain to you exactly why they went well. If they didn't, uh, he was there to tell you why they didn't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. what went wrong. He didn't BS you, you know, he didn't talk down to you. Uh, so that was always enjoyable to be around. Uh, and, and he was, uh, in my mind, uh, you know, the, the, the big dog in that offensive line. They all yeah. knew uh, who was running the place, and it was him.
1: Yeah, that, that was that was a fun team to be around, and, and Ron, you speak about who was running the place. Eddie Debartle of course, is running the place, and you guys know how broken up he was about the death of Dwight. We talked it to him, and, and, um, and Dwight was like a little brother to him, but to lose two players in two weeks, I mean, Eddie's got to be in a bad place, Goose, man, because, as you know, he loved his players. He loved them to me like no other owner I've been around.
3: Yeah, you could see it as his Hall of Fame entremet. Everybody came back. All the players, they all wanted to yep. be here. You know, Eddie, yep. Eddie made the players his family, and for mm-hmm. a, a Dwight Clark and a Keith Farnus to pass on, it's it's frankly a death in his family.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you know, '66 seems awfully early to be leaving this world uh, for the other side of the lawn, and uh, you know we. we we look at that, of course, uh, and we remember these guys. I think it's always sort of interesting what happens to them. You know, they go away after they're done playing, and we always remember them as that guy, that person. You know, yeah, they're always yeah, right. Thirty-two years old, or twenty-nine years old, or whatever. Uh, yep. and, and then all of a sudden, you hear this kind of news. You go, "What?" You know? Yeah, it, it's baffling to you. You know that of course they age like everyone else, but you just, uh, especially the guys who played on those great teams who were great players themselves. You know, they just sort of stick in your mind as as that
1: person. Yeah, that's right. In fact, when I saw the pictures of him, they were from the the early 80s. That's how I remember him. That's how I remember him, and and that's how I want to remember him. Anyway, here's to Keith Von Horst, gone way too soon, as Ron mentioned, at the age of 66. Now, speaking of really good players who aren't in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I was reminded of former linebacker and friend of the show, Mike Mad Dog Curtis, last weekend. But really, not by anything he said or did, and not by anything that happened in the NFL, but by something that happened In the CFL. I mean, did did you guys, did you see that videotape, guys? Did you see that videotape? Some idiot without shoes, without pants. Uh, He runs out on the field during a BC Lions game, jogging around without any interference when, (laughs) boom, out of nowhere, this BC defensive back named Marcel Young lowers the boom on Mike Curtis and leaves the guy crumbled on the field. he didn't get up. Now, I liked Mike's hit better, guys, but I got to tell you, this is a reminder, Goose, that the football field... Yeah, it belongs to the players, not the fans.
3: So, Ron, how much alcohol would you have to drink before you took all your clothes <laughs> off and ran onto the football? On the <laughs> football. <laughs> I can
2: think of actually no way that I would do that, uh, unless it was the, the dark of night, and the only people there were me and Halle Berry. Then I might do that. Otherwise, not happening.
1: Well, I, I know you guys remember that that Mike Curtis game. I was a diehard Colts fan, and, and you guys certainly studied the games, saw those games. I, I replayed it the other night, and it was against Miami. i have forgotten that, actually. And, and the uh, Dolphins offense is on the field, and they're in the huddle when some Yahoo goose, as you mentioned, had a ton of alcohol in him, <laughs> runs out on the field, picks up the football, and starts running with it. And then, <laughs> out of nowhere, Curtis just lowers the boom with a guy going in <laughs> one direction and the football in the other. And with that, Ron... <laughs> The legend of Mike Mad Dog Curtis was established.
2: Yeah, well, you're right. You know, it's, it's funny because a lot of his teammates actually didn't like what he did at the, at the time. You know, they they thought it was, uh, you know, over the top and not their jobs, and it was security's job. And and some of them felt that he sort of made football players look bad. But you know, as you guys will remember, you know, he talked to us a few years ago about it. And one mm-hmm. of the things he said was. uh which well, uh, was great. Uh, what I didn't want was our team to be distracted because of something outside of the game. So typical, of course. I was the captain, and I just needed to make sure we weren't distracted by anything that would affect our game. Then he goes on. He said, "That's the reason I went to counseling." Uh,
0: <laughs> you know, I was, was
2: great, classic guy, funny guy, smart guy. Uh, but look, you know, the you walk into somebody's. Uh, you know, my dad was a construction worker all his life. You walk into his workplace and, and pick up the power star and, and start, uh, you know, sawing some boards. You're going to get a two by four in a noggin. I mean, lock of the century. <laughs> That's just what happened. Yeah. Right, know? Right. Uh, and and he did the same thing. You came into his workplace and you're going where with a football? Oh no, you're not. Because my job is to make sure that football doesn't go anywhere. And he certainly did.
3: I'd rather remember Curtis as a Hall of Fame caliber linebacker. Yeah. The guy who leveled yeah. a drunken fan.
1: Yeah. Well, that tells me and you that someone's about to take a hit from our Ron Borges in his Borges of Bogus editorial. Ronnie, I got a feeling that Dallas might be the lucky winner today. Speaking of drunks,
2: here I am. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, there's some debate down in Dallas over whether or not the Cowboys will induct two-time Super Bowl winning coach Jimmy Johnson into the team's ring of honor. Uh, now, when you got two rings, it should be an honor to put them up there with the 21 previous recipients, it seems to me. Uh, we all know Johnson and owner Jerry Jones had a nasty breakup uh, in 1994 uh, after winning back-to-back uh, Super Bowls. Apparently, that became too much for either of their egos to stand, and Johnson went to Miami and Jerry remained in Dallas. And neither one of them has been able to duplicate or uh, on their own the su- kind of success they had together, uh, which should be a lesson to both of them and, and most of the rest of us. Uh, a year ago, though, they seemed to bury the hatchet and not on each other's uh, back uh, at a 25th uh, reunion of the 1992 Super Bowl champions uh, that began Dallas's uh, 1990s dynasty. At that time, and several times thereafter, including at Jones's Hall of Fame induction, both men were uh, gave ample credit to each other and all seemed to be giddy and gay. Uh, so isn't it time to forget how Johnson left and remember what he did the five years he was there? To the say otherwise is bogus. Jimmy Johnson took over a team that had made the playoffs only once in the previous five seasons and had a 17 and 30 record the previous three years. Now he broke it down, struggled through a one and fifteen rebuilding season, pulled off the Herschel Walker trade, which brought him a raft of draft picks and the foundation of those Super Bowl teams. And then when he got him in the playoffs, won seven and one in the playoffs in his final three seasons, including those back to back Super Bowl wins in ninety two and ninety three. Jimmy Johnson and Bill Parcells have both been denied a place in the Hall of Fame of their teams for which they did yeoman's work. Parcells in New England and Johnson in Dallas. Each turned perennial losers into winners, both had a bad breakup with ownership, and have ever since been denied an honor long deserved. There's only one word for their exclusion. It's bogus. Well, Jimmy. Uh, well, uh, Jerry Jones ponders whether to add a 20-second name to the Ring of Honor after having not done so since 2015. He should remember not the Johnson who warred with him at the end, but the one he won with in the good old days in Dallas. There'd be nothing bogus about that.
3: Ron, who goes in first, Jimmy Johnson or Gil Brandt?
2: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> well, Jerry fired them both, didn't he? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he now, did. Think about
3: it.
2: Uh, I would hope Jimmy. Uh, look, I mean, if it wasn't for Jimmy, uh, you know, Jerry wouldn't be looked at the way he is, and he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, and that's just a fact. So Ron, I, I would hope they'd do the right thing.
1: Quick question. and me yes. really quick. Uh, Hall of Fame first or Ring of Honor first for uh, Jimmy? Ooh, tough one. Uh, I think Ring of Honor first. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, nothing bogus about that screed, Ronnie. Thank you very much. But here's something gorgeous. We gotta go to commercial.
0: (laughs) This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Our next guest is a frequent visitor to the show. It's former Hall of Fame voter
1: Nick Canepa, the San Diego Union Tribute. And Nick is here to tell us about the best charger, as in Los Angeles or San Diego charger, not the Football Hall of Fame, as our 32-team NFL tour goes to Southern California. And Nicky, before we get started, Southern California could actually become a state if a statewide proposal to split the California into three, I guess Northern California, California, and Southern California, wins the vote in November. So I'm just wondering here, what do you think of that?
5: Well, I think, you know, we could have three times, uh, the, uh, we could screw up three times more than we already do, let's put it that way. <laughs> so you're in favor of it. I mean, you know, there's like 40 million people living in this state. I, and, right. you know, the, number one, that proposal is never going to pass. And, and even if it did, I, I, I wonder what it would mean. I, you know, I would be upset if I were separated from San Francisco. Yeah. But other than that, it wouldn't bother me very much at all.
1: Yeah, I wasn't too upset when I was separated from San Francisco in the first year I was up there, Nick. I kept flying back to San Diego.
5: Yeah, well, you didn't discover San Francisco was 30 miles away until you were there six months. That, that's your problem. <laughs>
1: that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, here's an easier question for you, Nikki. Um We're checking in with Hall of Fame voters or former Hall of Fame voters in every NFL city for the best players on the teams or coaches um, on the teams they covered that are not in Canton. And, and today, well, today, Nick, it's your lucky day because the arrow points to the Chargers. So hers, who's your first nominee for the hall, someone who's not already in the hall?
5: Well, number one would be Ed White, who's uh, and Ed Ed of course has a problem because he's a guard and the Hall of Fame is not very guard friendly. Uh but um, he's he was a great player, maybe the strongest player who ever played, and and on top of it all is one of the truly great human beings I've ever known in my life.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, um, I covered him, so did you. And and you and I both know of a guy named Dennis McKnight, who was a former teammate of Ed's. Um, He called Ed, quote, probably the best all-around offensive lineman in the league in terms of run blocking and pass blocking, unquote. You agree?
5: Yeah, Ed was just a great player. Of course, you know, he did play on four Super Bowl teams, just not with the Chargers With with, the Vikings. right. And, um, and you know, he kind of solidified that whole air coil, coil line, which is maybe the most underrated offensive line in the history of the league because they didn't win a Super Bowl. Um, but those guys were really good. I mean, Ed White and Doug Wilkerson and Russ Washington, and those were really good players. And if you ever saw Dan Fouts' legs, which never were broken, you'd realize that he was probably protected pretty well um I just think you know I think if if Ed had been in the super Bowl or two, I think he'd be in, but he didn't make it and and that's the way it is right now and uh I've been in that room with you guys, so you know i i you know i know i'm I'm still hoping that one day he'll get in he he was a great player and uh on a, on a, what i what i thought was, was always thought was a special offensive line.
2: You know, if he win if he wins one of those, you think that changes things for him considerably.
5: Yeah, I think so. I, you know, you know, it depends. You know, once again, he's a guard, and 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 you guys have been around this thing long enough to know how they, uh, for whatever reason, guards don't play football. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it's a hard thing, and you know, I think he belongs, but obviously, not enough people do. I, I don't know if he's ever even gotten a sniff. You know, I, I guess now it would have to be a senior thing, right? Is, is that yep, correct?
3: Yep, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
5: So, right. um, you know, I think he belongs, but a lot of guys belong. So, and I think they're, of course, like you do probably, there are guys in there who don't belong. So, that's just well, the way it goes. Uh, uh,
2: myself and the Gooseman one time we were walking through the Hall of bus late at the night, and he said, if you, if you could, a, could do anything in here, wouldn't you like to be here at... Uh, late at night when nobody's around I said yeah I would and the next morning there'd be about five of these bus turn around
5: backwards <laughs>
2: <laughs> why is that guy why do we look at the back of that guy's head? because he doesn't belong in there
5: <laughs> yeah exactly uh, but you know I, I you know, uh, there aren't there, the, 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 all of them were all in there were at least good players there's some oh, yeah. obviously that that um, you know I remember how long it took uh, Jimmy Johnson to get in and I Rafer's brother, and uh, you know he was a great player. player. He's the best cornerback forever. It took him forever to get in, but you know some guys slipped through the cracks. But you know it's a very, very difficult thing to get in the Hall of Fame. Where you stand with which is which is good. It should be difficult.
2: Right? No, I think it should be really difficult. The fact that it's only one percent of of the players who ever played, I think, is a good thing. You know, it ought to be special. Not every slappy who. know ever put on a helmet I mean uh,
5: exactly uh,
2: where do you stand with on Coriel I I think you're you've sort of advocated for him in the past have you not
5: well yeah I mean I I I think that his contributions to the game were were remarkable but the fact is that coaches aren't contributors which I'll, I'll just never be able to figure out I think going up against players making coaches go against players makes it incredibly difficult. I mean, you know, not not all coaches have have, have done what, what Bill Belichick have done. If Bill goes against the players, he's going to get in. But, right. you know, if coaches aren't contributors, I really don't know what they are. They're not players. Um, yeah. You know, I think if an owner and a general manager can be a contributor, then certainly a coach can be.
2: Yeah, I think the problem with him is the same as you talked about with Ed White. You know, coaches are generally judged by uh, winning championships. There's only a couple yep. guys in there who didn't, and and in the end they didn't win. And if you don't right, win, they
5: right, or coach. at least getting there, you know, and he right. never got there, right. and and you know, I, I, that's a problem. I mean, you know, I don't think there's any question, but I I think in Don's case he was he was such a difference maker um, that it kind of overrides. That No Super Bowl stuff. But right. once again, that's how some people look at coaches. And if that's the way they're going to look at him, he's not going to get in.
2: Now, I got one guy for you because he ruined my my Sunday in like 19-whatever-it-was, 64. sixty. Sixty only year. one? It's 1960. Well, yeah. Been, I had a lot of bad Sundays, but this guy was responsible for this one. Paul Lowe. I waited all day. All day, Nikki, to turn on my black and white little four-inch TV, get the rabbit ears right, and get the aluminum foil set up and everything, so that I could watch the Patriots beat the Chargers. and Paul Lowe and Keith Lincoln.
1: Keith Lincoln yeah.
2: just went, abs- you know, they went insane, and and you know everybody remembers Lincoln, of course, but Paul Lowe had a great game too. What about him
1: as,
5: as,
2: a,
1: as a?
5: Paul Lowe was a was a was a, was a tremendous player. Uh, you know, and, and when we start looking at, you know, he was different because he was a, you know, he was a, he was, Paul was a pretty big guy, but he was also, he was also incredibly fast. I think if I remember right, he was a, a California state 180 uh, 80, uh, yard uh, hurdles champion mm-hmm. and he was a dynamic player. I mean, um, with really long strides and, and exciting to launch He he came along at a perfect time at the beginning of the uh, of the EFL, and, and uh, you know he, he's kind of like some of the guys who've been getting in lately who didn't have incredible statistics, you know. He, and it's not like he played fifteen years, but he didn't have fifteen thousand yards. Um, but you know, and neither did uh, neither did a lot of guys who're getting in. So. And he's a guy I mean he was he was a special player, and uh Keith Lincoln was a special player, but Keith didn't have the overall resume that that Paul had, but Keith had moments that really a lot of players have never had right right and another guy we leave off here and i I know I know uh goose has put together his all time um special teams team but but Walt Sweeney, his, Walt Sweeney was the best special teams player I ever saw. And I basically saw Hank Bauer play every game he ever played. And Walt was also an outstanding offensive lineman. And um, if Walt Sweeney got in the Hall of Fame, it wouldn't bother me in the least because he was a terrific player. How much do you We've think he was hurt?
2: How much, yeah, I was going to say, how much do you think he was hurt by the whole? You know, he was one of the early guys in the whole drug situation.
5: Oh, I think it hurt. I think it hurt him a lot. And it, you know, I, I don't know if, if Walt was ever really right until his dying day. Right. But I mean, the, the drug thing and back in the early days of the AFL, it was just just rampant. I mean, they, they just, I mean, that stuff was just like M and M's. They just handed that stuff out. So. But there's no denying he was a he was a tremendous player.
3: What about Wes Chandler?
5: Well, I, I there are I, I'm positive there are receivers in the in the Hall of Fame not as good as Wes are, and there's certainly receivers in the Hall of Fame not as good as Cliff Branch was. Um, but uh, Wes was and Wes was just unimportant. Amazing player, and 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 in uh, uh, the strike year nineteen eighty two, which was my first year covering the league, he was having the best year that any receiver had ever had. I mean, he, even though he he'd lacerated a kidney in practice and missed a missed a game, um, he played eight of the nine games, and he had over ten touchdowns and over a thousand yards receiving in those yes. in those eight games. Oh, so, he was a brilliant player.
1: Uh, I'll okay, catch guys. you next week for breakfast at the hideaway when I lacerate some blueberry pancakes, all right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Look yay.
5: forward. Take care.
1: <laughs> you got it. That was former Hall of Fame voter Nick Campbell of the San Diego Union Tribune. Up next, who should be the next contributor nominees for the Halls Class of 2019? This is the Talk Fame Network. Okay, if you can call...
0: This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Before we get started, um, we'd like to congratulate Joe Bugle and Emma Thomas as this year's winners of the PFWA's
1: Dr. Z Award. Now, it's an award that's named after former Sports Illustrated writer Paul Dr. Z Zimmerman and given annually... A lifetime achievement by an assistant coach in the NFL, and Ron. These two guys—they're certainly deserving.
2: Oh, no question about it. You know, two great coaches. I, I think when this award started, I thought it was a really great thing that you know these guys worked so hard, have, are, are so essential uh, to victory for these teams, and got so little uh, credit, you know, over the years. Uh, the guys who, who never became head coaches. But you know, look—we all know Bugle. Uh, who was a better yeah. guy than him? You know,
1: Hugh's great guy, great guy, great, great
2: coach. You can see why he was a successful coach for for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Emmett Thomas,
3: Hall of Fame player. He was, yes, um, yep. He's one of the guys that I presented. I did a lot of the senior presentations, and uh, Emmett's one of my guys. Good player, great player, great coach.
1: Yep. Uh, congratulations to Joe Bugle and Emmett Thomas. As we said, both are deserving and long overdue. Congratulations, Ron, to you too, because you have a son. I yes, do? you have a son. In, what is it? Fifth, sixth grade? What's he in? Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Fifth grade. Okay, well, perfect. Um, so he'll be in eighth grade in, let's see, three years right now. Yeah, I'll do the math. Um, so when he's in eighth grade, uh, any chance the University of Massachusetts, maybe BC or BU, wants to sign him to a hockey scholarship? What? Yeah. At, at 12,
2: 13 years old. What, are you kidding me?
1: <laughs> You've been an well, no, the-
2: to a long clock. <laughs>
1: No, the, no. The reason I ask is that I saw a story the other day. Maybe you guys did too. Um, that the University of Alabama just offered a scholarship to a six foot seven, three hundred and seventy-five pound, or see, it, three hundred and seventy pound, offensive lineman, which uh, isn't all that unusual in this day and age, right? Except this six foot seven, three hundred and seventy pound offensive lineman is Drummer Ron, an eighth grader. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm serious his name, is boy, Kenyatta. Oh, his name is Kenyatta Goodwin he's 14 and he'll be a freshman at Holy Cross High in Louisville next year but but here's the best part Alabama isn't alone I mean he's got nine scholarship offers already I think FSU's another one of them but anyway there's there, there's not much that surprises me these days Goose. but I'll be honest with you offering an 8th grader a collegiate scholarship uh, I, I didn't see that one coming Waitily, it's
3: his girl spurt in high school. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. You know, but
3: hey, offering a scholarship is one thing. Make it a binding offer. Alabama yeah, yeah. can't pull it back and must cover the cost of a four-year education. That yep. would make scholarship offers yep. newsworthy. worthy. yep.
2: Yeah, right. No, you're right. But, you know, actually it has uh, uh, something similar happened at least once before. Uh, You remember Arkansas quarterback uh, Mitch Mustaine? Yes, sir. You know, Arkansas offered him a scholarship before he started a single varsity game. Uh, He... And he, uh, uh, he, was a bust out as a player, but he was sixty three and one from the eighth grade through his first eight college what? starts. Yeah, sixty three and one. <laughs> and I think Bobby Knight didn't he give Steve Alfred a, a scholarship when he was in the eighth grade to play uh, basketball at Indiana because he could shoot the rock. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, could shoot the rock. W- what was this guy's name? Mitch Mustang. Mitch In Fact: Goose turned me on to a tremendous uh, uh, a documentary that was done on him. You can tell him uh, tell him a little bit about it. Goose, Netflix. It, Netflix. No, yeah. Netflix. It was great. The guy it was great. Uh,
3: he goes to Arkansas. He starts eight games. He's eight and zero, and he started oh. one more game. The rest of his life, he started. What happened? coaching. That's issues. A good question. transferred to Southern Cal. Played one game and should have beaten Notre Dame, and that was it. Now he's back at Southern in Arkansas. Yeah, it sells so called. I mean, it's a Netflix by um, um, documentary. It's really terrific. That is it's, a great oh, story. Uh, wow! The, yeah, uh, I, it was around the theft of the identity
2: theft of Mitch the identity Pustain. theft of Mitch Bernstein. And terrific. the thing that was great about it, I thought Goose, was uh, it, it did two things. One, it laid out the whole uh, weirdness of the youth sports thing, right? That yeah, that everybody yeah. wanted it more than he did. He wanted to be a fighter pilot. Uh, that, and so there was that. And then the other thing was the way you can get as a young kid caught in the middle of these adults mm-hmm. who are all sort of mm-hmm. either living through you or making their money through you or, or making decisions that, that you are know, going to impact you but aren't necessarily uh, uh, in your best interest. It
3: was fascinating. It
2: really, His was, high school
3: huh? coach was Gus Malzahn, who won a national title at Auburn. So he gets hired mm-hmm. to be the offense coordinator in Arkansas and used to not Wants to run the ball, and this guy wants to throw it. So Mustaine gets caught in the middle of this coaching battle of running the ball and throwing the ball, and he's the one mm. who paid the biggest price. That no, was almost yeah. gone at the end of the first year. I thought well, one Ron, of the things that
2: talking- they did, well, one of the things I thought that was great was there was this other guy. I forget his name, Gussel now, but he had been a, a, a really good quarterback there at Arkansas, and I just thought his perspective on it was really good. You know, I mean, he was no... Yeah, Clint
3: Sterner. he's was playing yeah. the
2: Cowboys. It was nothing like one way or the other, but he wasn't not knocking mm-hmm. the kid or knocking him, but he was just sort of laying, you know, very matter-of-factly sort of laying out how this whole thing went off the rails. It was yep.
1: Well, Ron, you, you, you were talking about kids getting caught in that yeah. uh, web of, you know... Uh, sports greatness and, and parents making the decisions. Todd Marinovich. I mean, sure, the sure. first guy I think of. I mean, and, and look what's done to the rest of his life. I mean, sure.
2: Well, if you um, know his dad, I mean, his dad... I knew yeah, his dad. Right, right. You know, I mean, right. nice guy, you know, to be honest. I yep. mean, in his own way, he sort of... He meant well, but yep. he was a lunatic, you know. I mean, he lost yep. his mind. Uh, right. And, uh, and ultimately and forced
1: the kid to lose his, his mind. Yeah, lost his son. Yeah, lost his, his son. son, too. Um, I guess, Ron, since you did your... Uh, Borgous or bogus, I'll get on my horse, high horse here. And, and, and what I really don't get is um, I, I don't see, and, and you know, Goose addressed it earlier, I don't see colleges offering academic scholarships to eighth graders, and for good reason. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much going to happen between now and then, but they don't. And it, it just seems like this is another message that sports are different, which we're talking about here, and that virtually anything goes with the NCAA where there seemingly to me are, are no rules. I mean, this kid did nothing else between now and his graduation. Goose, he has nine schools that want him. You know he can make an oral commitment
3: to any of those schools, but nothing's binding. You know yeah. I don't think he he has to sign anything till his senior year. So every school in America can offer him and pull back the offer if the guy you know if the guy becomes a backup the rest of his life. Yeah. You know, but if he continues to develop, uh, he'll have a lot more than nine scholarships.
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, look he's got the he's got the one thing. You know he's he's the he's the Mensa of size. If you're six seven. You weigh three hundred seventy
1: pounds. That's a big load of poles. Hey, if he, if he continues to develop, Goodyear will be interested in.
2: him. <laughs> yeah, the Michelin man, right? Yeah, oh, Can you imagine feeding? Imagine feeding that boy. Oh my Lord. Oh my god. Or the how about the clothes? You know, you you know, you have a, a young daughter, where you just plow through shoes and shirts and sweaters Imagine yep, yep, yep. putting clothes on this dude. Oh my yeah.
1: god. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, can you imagine what it's going to look like when he's eighteen?
2: Right. I mean, they got like a special store down there, like Rochester, really big and really tall. <laughs>
1: big and tall. Very big and very tall. Right. Oh, and,
2: my God. And quite we, wide,
1: I'll bet, too.
2: You want wow. the silo size? <laughs> right. Right. Plus, hey, how about this, guys? How about uh, next year in high school? You, you know, you're the kid who trots out of the huddle, and you're playing like left guard, and you're at 192 pounds, and you look at this guy. You're like, oh, man, my
1: hand Ron, is killing. This guy can play left guard and left tackle at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Who's going to play? The guy. <laughs> just Who even knows if him. he's any good? I mean, I, don't, I saw on yeah, anyway.
3: like YouTube where they had a, a seven-foot eighth grader playing eighth-grade basketball. <laughs> oh god, eight-foot hoops <laughs> 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 on eight-foot hoops, <laughs> Without leaving oh his feet.
1: Oh my <laughs> god. Oh, 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 well, uh, let's get back to reality here, Gooseman. Um, You had another interesting poll on (laughs) your website, and that would be com. It was not about eighth graders or seven-footers playing in uh, eighth-grade leagues. Um, and, And that was, who should be the next contributor elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And that was in 2019, the next class. And the survey said...
3: Broncos owner Pat Bolin in a runaway. Mm. I think mm. uh, the Denver voting crowd turned off for this one. He lapped Gil Brandt and Steve Sable, who finished in second and third well,
1: place. Of well, I, I'm not surprised by Bolin. I mean, let's be honest, Goose. Um, he's been one of the front runners the past few years for the contributor candidates, and with two for the class of 2019. I, I'll be surprised if he's not one of them, won't you?
3: Yeah, I think uh, with two spots, I expect an owner and a personnel type, and there mm-hmm. are going to be ten great names to consider. You know, in addition to Bolin, Sable, Brand, you got Bud Adams, Clint Murchison, Robert Kraft, Bucko Kilroy. You know, it's impossible not to pick a worthy candidate. What surprised me was the little, little bitty support for Robert Kraft, Rod Borges got stop that
1: ballot box, boys! On, what are you doing?
3: <laughs> well, you know, his
1: son's looking for scholarship offers, not stuffing the ballot box.
2: <laughs> well, they gotta stop, you know, running the con film festival and, and deflate footballs. That's would be the first two things they could. Oh,
1: because, come on! You know,
2: it's just truth.
3: The truth. What are you gonna do? of limitations. Can't help on that. If he gets crafted Hall of Fame, he won't have to worry about a scholarship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah,
2: we can only hope. Uh, no, that's that's true. Well, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting to me because. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, no disrespect to the guy, but I just don't see it with Pat Bowlen. I don't. I don't see any of it. I don't get it. I mean, the guy inherited John Elway and couldn't win with him until he was thirty-seven years old. I mean, w- w- I don't get it. I, I don't. Okay, he's a rich guy, bought a team. You know, they were already pretty good when he got there, and then they were okay for a long time, and then finally at the end they won. But you know, I, I don't get it. I don't. Okay. So, I mean, to me, Carl Rosenblum is much more deserving. Bud Adams, without whom there is no AFL. Without no AFL, there he is no little merger.
3: Support on that, battle. yeah, very you little know. support. Yeah, you know, I'm sure, yeah. he flipped off the crowd, but okay. You know, uh, uh. let me go Clint Murchison. He he's the guy that he's the the godfather of these modern stadiums. He put the suites in. He had the PSLs. He had the you know the premium parking. Mm-hmm. All the stadiums have followed what he's done with uh, the original Texas Stadium.
2: Right. So yeah, I don't. I mean, I just think that that uh, you've got two what I call uh, remaining founding fathers of of pro football, which is Bud Adams yeah. and Carol Rosenbluth.
1: Yeah, right, right.
2: Uh, right. Um, you know why are they not
1: in? You know, yeah. well, you
2: well, can make an argument well, Goose, with Daniel Reeves who opened up the West Coast.
1: Or, or yeah, right. That's right. Um, Goose, you said the second, second, and third were I don't know what order. Br- Branton um, uh, uh, Sable, correct? Yep, yep. Okay. Um, you know what? I, I, I'll be honest with you. When I looked at that, poll, I was surprised there wasn't more support for Giants GM George Young. I mean, he was a five-time executive of the year. And, and to me, he changed the landscape forever with that team. I'm talking about the Giants. By hiring Parcells and, and, and brokering peace between Wellington and Tim Merrow. I think he did. I think he changed the, 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 the landscape just as Ron Wolf for instance, did in Green Bay.
3: Well, well, look, they just established this, this committee and this contributor slot. And we've got, we probably walked in with 10 really good candidates, and the same problem we have on, on the Hall of Fame. We, you know, there, there are too many qualified candidates and too few <clears throat> seats. I mean, yeah. Gary Jung is certainly worthy. Gil Brandt, certainly worthy. Steve Sable, certainly worthy. If Bud Adams, you know, some of these owners, certainly worthy. You just can't put them on it all at once. And, and like T.O., there's a lot of impatience.
1: Yeah, on. but uh, Ron don't you think Steve Sable's father being in there Ed Sable being in there probably is going to hurt his candidacy? Well, yeah, I mean look, Steve it looks It shouldn't, it shouldn't, but I just saying no. don't you think it might.
2: But I, but I but I can tell you honestly and this would uh, influence me. You know, Steve was a friend of mine and and he uh he told me uh when we were talking about his dad, he said uh, you know, all I want is is my dad to go in and if you don't vote for my dad, don't vote don't ever vote for me. It's that's my dad who belongs in there, not me. Hmm. Now look, Steve was a tremendous talent, um, right? Uh, uh, but you know, I've always sort of rem- remembered that. And I'll tell you, you know, you guys are talking about names. How about Buck O'Kilroy, who is the the the, the definition of a contributor, all, right. all decade player, coach. Scout. Yep, right, Many right, people believe right. the guy responsible for the scouting that went on in Dallas. Uh, right, and that's a long-time right. executive who built those tremendous Patriot teams with those drafts. Parcells still uh, uh, used the guy late in, in uh, you know, Bucko was damn near 80. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that's the definition of a contributor.
1: He and, and Goose, what, what, Goose, what about Art McNally, the, the father of instant replay? I mean, we've only got one other of official on him. That's Shorty Ray. What about Art? I thought Tony Verna was
3: the father of instant replay. <laughs> And, and I've Art heard down McNally. here that Tex Tram is a father of Vincent Replay.
2: All
1: right McNally. all well, <laughs> oh,
2: anyway. I know. The more I see of, of instant Replay, I, I wouldn't mention that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to carry that flag with your candidates.
1: <laughs> anyway, well, uh, what I am going to mention is we got to go to commercial something new and different. Um, when we return, we're going to hear the
0: two-minute drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Hey,
1: Robert, looks like Cleet Blakeman
0: has left the building, so
1: can you get Jerome Boger to do what he does best? That's, That's the two-minute Great, thanks. That's right. It's the two-minute drill to take us home, so guys, let's get started. When Tom Brady says he thought players kneeling during the national anthem was, quote, great, unquote.
3: What did he mean? It means Thomas is seeking a middle ground politically. It
2: means it didn't affect him, so that makes it
3: great. <laughs> North
1: Turner says Cam Newton can have a completion percentage in the middle to high 60s this season. What do you say?
3: Can he? Yes.
2: Will he? No. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, does North know the difference between can and might? Once in the last five years, he did it, which means he can. But most of the time,
1: he don't. Jack Ruscott says, we plan on surprising a lot of people. Goose, what constitutes a surprise there in Dallas?
3: I would say no more suspensions,
1: but we've already seen one of
3: those. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would would be being half as good as Cowboy fans think they're always going to be every year.
1: (laughs) What happens first? LeBron leaves Cleveland or the Browns win a game?
3: LeBron leaves Cleveland. He'll be long gone before the Browns step on that game field in August. LeBron leaving Cleveland. Never bet on the Browns.
1: Biggest upset, Mexico over Germany, Ronda Rousey's WWE loss, Iran's failure to send me an autographed Tom Brady jersey for Father's Day?
3: In the great state of Texas, it's Mexico all day.
2: Exactly. When's the last time Mexico beat Germany in anything?
1: If I can say they plan a team approach to the anthem, what does that mean? Whatever Mike Zimmer says goes.
2: No, it means they're going to play Team Fortnite in the locker room while they play that song outside.
1: Where will T.O. be for his Hoff induction?
3: Sitting on a sofa, watching inductions on television, getting upset that no one is making a big deal about his absence. He will be at a Hoff brow, waiting for someone to deliver his bust.
1: (laughs) When does the man make it to the Cowboys' Ring of Honor?
3: To quote Johnny Mathis, the 12th of never. (laughs) I say this,
1: before Jimmy Johnson. And when does Ron make it to New England's Ring of Honor?
3: with apologies to Johnny Mathis the day
1: after well,
2: I would say this before Bill Parcells
3: That's the end of the game.
1: <laughs> we want to thank Shereen Williams and Nick canop of joining us Robert Harris Jr. for producing us and you for listening to us if you'd like to hear this or any podcast just go to our website that'd be network.com, iTunes or your podcast app otherwise look for us next week at this time and on this station we'll be here we hope you will be too